So in the last class, we were discussing that portion of the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna where we find Sri Ramakrishna is having his conversation with the Brahmo devotees. And there we find that how nicely he is actually bringing into his discussion the entire gamut of spiritual realization from the formless, from the form to the formless. But as we know, in Hinduism, especially in all the dualistic form of Hinduism, there is belief in the divinity which has a form. It has attributes as well as it has a form. So all the religions of the world are dualistic. The idea of the non-dualism that we don't find in the other, other religion, as per the general belief is concerned of course the mystics of all the traditions do speak of some unitary experience if you leave out that just the if you uh, discuss the general belief the doctrines the dogmas then most of the religions are dualistic so in hinduism also this the dualistic forms are there in the vaishnavism in shaktas in all these branches but there's a difference in the dualism of the Abrahamic religions and the dualism in the Hindu tradition. What's the difference? There in the Abrahamic religions, we find that they do believe in a God which is having attributes, but it is beyond any form. There's no form, but that have attributes. And he's the creator, we are the creator. So there is a mark, is a difference that God is apart from the creation. In the dualistic religion of Hinduism, you will also find the same idea. But there, along with the attributes, there is the idea of a form, which we believe in a certain form. So how that form ultimately helps us to reach the state of formless and go even beyond the attributes to have a sense of unity. That Sri Ramakrishna is discussing with the Brahmo devotees. So that's the thing with which we ended the previous class, the concluded. Let us read that portion again. Do you know what I mean? 
think of brahman existence knowledge bliss absolute as a shoreless ocean through the cooling influence as it were of the bhakta's love the water has frozen at places into blocks of ice in other words god now and then assumes various forms for his lovers and reveals himself to them as a person but with the rising of the sun of knowledge the blocks of ice melt then one doesn't feel any more that god is a person nor does one see god's forms but what he is cannot be described who will describe him he he would do so disappears he cannot this he cannot find his i any more so that's a wonderful idea which sri ramakrishna is bringing in simple words if we try to understand psychologically that how the form leads to the formless how it's the same reality just in the hindu traditions we find that the form the rupa aspect do play a great role in our spiritual journey how the rupa helps now we should remember these are all ways the ultimate is of course that non dual realization in all religion even in other traditions the mystics we find they do at last go to some unitary experience but if it is with form or without form what's the difference now with form as a way is highly effective again we are saying as a way is it is as a way yes there are dualistic form of religion who will immediately say why you say it is way the ultimately also the form is the goal the god is there with form yes from a certain perspective that is also traders come to the discussion that first whether the form is true or not let us forget for all of us as a novice as a beginner none of us has seen god whether it is a vaishnava or a shakta we start as a believer the scriptures are there they speak of forms their realized souls are there they may speak of form but when they are speaking to me as a novice it is pure imagination can you deny it have we really seen it not mere imagination so we all start our spiritual journey with the imagination now how that imagination of the form is very effective it is very effective in as per as the concentration of the mind is concerned you will find that the way our thoughts are construed or formed that whenever you are thinking our thought has two component nama and rupa suppose the mother is thinking of the son or the daughter in school the child is in the school the mother the moment thinks of the child two things are there she mentally is repeating the name of the child that's one there's a nama and the moment she does that in her mind an image is of course formed there is an image formed for all our thoughts these two components are always there and of course not only two there's again the third component also is also there what is its utility nama rupa artha kriya karitva 
So these are the things which each and every thought constitutes of. So for the time being, Artha Kriya Karito, we leave it out, the Nama and Rupa we take. That whenever in our distracted mind, whatever we are thinking, we are internally conversing, some language is there, there cannot be any thought without language, internally we are conversing, and lot of images are being formed in our mind. Now, the rishis of our tradition, they have very scientifically used the process of meditation. How? If you think of certain form and go on repeating the name of the Lord, which that form represents, then the Buddha constituents of your thought, the thought have this Nama and Rupa, is taken care of. You will find it happens that sometimes when I'm trying to willfully uh, focus on, I may be just repeating some name, but as I have not taken care of the Rupa, the form component of the thought, though I am mechanically repeating some name, the mind most probably is having images of so many different things. Because the thought has two components, Nama Rupa. When I am just thinking the various attributes of the divine, which I think has no form, as a result what happened, my mind though is trying to focus on those attributes, the image formation component is left free and it starts imaging, just visualizing so many things, creating image of so many things. So the name goes on, but the mind is thinking something else. So if I can think of a divinity and give a form, in some form or other it's always there. The Muslims always pray facing the West. Why? Because in their mind the form of the Makkah is there, is in the West. The, the form of the crescent moon, some form will be there. Christians, of course, they have the form of the crucif crucified Christ. So some, in way or other, the form has to be taken into account if we really have to have an effective concentration. It, has, it is bound to come. Even the one who thinks that I think of the formless God and that God is limitless, you will find somehow that limitless God we cannot think. But at last we are thinking of this infinite expanse of the sky or the infinite expanse of the ocean. Some form of imagery is bound to come. So that's why we find that the rishis has prescribed. Why not take a definite form? And then when you go on repeating, then the nama and the rupa, both the aspects of your thought, both the components of your thought are taken care of and then you can focus your mind. Now when I'm focusing my mind by thinking of the name and the form, it's an imagination. Because it's just a belief, it's not something which I've realized. It's an imagination. But this imagination, when other things become less uh, vivid because of my focus, this imagination starts becoming more and more vivid. And a time may come when it is no more an imagination, it's really something, a realization. You may say, how? 
I started with imagination, how it has become realization. Now, if you see the working of the mind, it is wonderful. Now, what I see when I'm seeing a red flower, what I'm seeing? Some light wave is falling on my eyes and there it works ends. It gets converted into some various nerve currents which reaches the brain and then the brain throws out the color, the shape, everything. And that's what I am seeing. What is coming in that I never see, what my mind throws that I see. Now if you think, just to think, that with my vivid imagination, without seeing a thing, if my mind develops the capacity of throwing the image of what I am meditating upon, it becomes as vivid as an external object. It happens with those who are schizophrenic. They are throwing the visualization and it is so vivid, they take it to be real. But for them it is uncontrolled. For a devotee, it is a controlled way. He knows that this is the world which I see. <coughs> I go deep into my meditation and then that vivid form comes. So, these two worlds it can differentiate. It knows that this is the world which I see with my eyes, with my five senses. And when I go deep in my meditation, that's as, a, as if there is an alteration. There is the, my, it is an altered consciousness. In that I do have that vivid vision which is as good as any other vision. Because again the thing, we don't see the world what is coming in. We see what we are, our mind is projecting. So if our mind can start projecting something without seeing, it will be as vivid as a real object. It happens in our dream. Sometimes dream is so vivid. What is happening? What the mind is projecting that I am seeing vividly. So with meditation we can do that. And it becomes as vivid as the thing which I see with my five senses. Now when my meditation is becoming more and more intense and this vivid realization gets linked with your emotion. You start thinking it as real. And why, how it gets connected with your emotion? All our emotions are formed because of repetition. All the emotions are linked with a type of obsession. Suppose uh, any two person in a marriage, in a marriage, most probably it's an arranged marriage. The two person come together, or even if it's not an arranged marriage, the two uh, persons are getting acquainted with each other. It's not that at the very first day. The love develops. It's by gradual, constantly acquainting the oneself with the other, constantly conversing, relating, and just trying to relate their life in so many ways together that the love develops. What it speaks of? In the modern psychology, they say the neurons that fire together, together gets connected together, gets wired together. So seeing someone, particular neurons are getting fired and as it goes on repeatedly it happening, you get it gets wired. Once the mind gets wired, you start developing a liking for those things. So here also the same thing happens with your gradual practice. The form has become vivid, vivid and you have started growing emotion. So it is as if something very real. And the mind becomes more and more focused, intensely focused. 
and this focus can be very intense why it can be very intense in other worldly objects there are distractions the one whom i love who is in front of me at that time i feel the intense love he is not in front of me that way, that dwindles but when i have i am capable of con- uh, creating an image projecting an image to my mind it is always with me and as i have developed tremendous love with it it is not something which is dependent on something external it is something which i have created i have designed it is always with me so this love has as if no separation it is very intense and this intensity is fix of a wonderful thing that this thought alone when remains other thoughts starts falling off in extreme focus what happens you will find that we start forgetting other things other things starts falling off when i am watching a cricket match someone calls me i don't hear because my mind is so absorbed i forget that i i am hungry that the what this all the hunger thirst this tiredness these are all f- biological alarm system but that for that alarm system that alarm should be connected to the mind but as the mind is focused in something other things falls falls off you will find that sometimes when i'm absorbed in something i forget other things but the last thing to fall off is our sense of ego that i am this body mind complex who is enjoying this yet however my mind be focused in vedanta they say there is a triad what is the triad there three things dhyana dhyata dhyaya that i am the dhyata i am the meditator there is an object of meditation dhyaya and dhyana the process of meditation is connecting these two so as long as the ego is there this three is bound to be there but when this meditation where your emotion is tremendously linked with that projected object of your mind what happens this ego at last falls off that the little portion of the mind which always keeps the ego intact that also is taken away by the object of concentration and samadhi has been defined in our scripture is the collapsing of this triad this dhyana dhyata dhyaya this three distinction falls off why when the ego falls off there is no distinction you become one with the object of meditation and now one thing wonderful thing happens this suddenly we form that the from the form we have gone to the formless why how it happens the moment the ego falls off the mind always has to be connected with the ego the mind also for the time being the, the moment ego is has falls off the mind by itself cannot work it also goes to the state of arrested state even in deep sleep it doesn't happen but in the deep concentration the mind goes to that arrested state to understand this even we can take another example in this world everything is flowing the mind is also flowing why this flow because there is a polarity why water flows because there is a difference in level from higher level it flows to the lower level if both the levels are same the water flow will stop why current flows this polarity from higher potential to lower potential from positive to negative if both the ends have same potential even if the wire is connected no current the electricity cannot flow 
So similarly, the mind can work as long as it can jump from one thought to another thought. You will find it is so difficult. What to speak of meditation? Every day evening we have Aratrikam. Many of you are attending online. I just request you to do one thing. And if you are capable, please come and say me that yes, I have, I have done it. That take a resolution that today I will be singing or listening to the Aratrikam song from the beginning to the last, totally focused and I won't allow my mind to get deviated from the song. To keep the mind in mantra is very difficult. Here there are so many sequence of thoughts. So many sequence of thoughts. You try and just say me that I have succeeded. Even in one day you have succeeded. You can just tell me. You will, if you just watch your mind, you will find it so difficult. What to speak of one thought. Even there is a succession of thoughts in a song. There are so many ideas. Still we will find at one point or other, the mind gets deviated. So that's the nature of our mind. It's so volatile. It's so, so with practice, when it has become so focused, that when I'm, my mind is not being allowed to jump from thought to thought, from A to B to C to D, it's, it is now thinking only A, the mind falls. It goes to the arrested state. Because you have resolved the potentiality. You have resolved the polarity. Immediately it's going to stop. It's going to that state of Nirodha, the arrested state. So the form now, when the mind is stopped, the form has also gone. And the scripture says a wonderful thing that at present, if I close all my indriyas, still something from within that I am, I am, that thought is there, I cannot stop that. But that amnes has a locality. I know I'm sitting somewhere from where that amnes is as if emanating. The universe is there outside me. Though I have closed all my sendriyas, I am sitting somewhere that amnes is still there. It is localized. But when you go beyond the mind, suddenly you were meditating on a certain form. The form became very vivid. You were very much emotionally linked to it. And when the th your concentration is so intense, without love the intensity cannot come. You will find that the mother never has to meditate on the child. Because of the love, she is always thinking of the child. When a lover is in a new, uh, just have newly started loving someone, throughout the day, whatever he or she may do, he cannot forget the object of love. It is so intense. So that speaks that real meditation comes from love. Without bhakti, there cannot be true meditation. We, most of us think as we have not developed love, we think meditation is a resolution. I will take a resolution. Yes, at the beginning it helps to a certain extent. But till that love has developed, Real meditation can never be. That real meditation has to have that factor of emotion, emotive factor. So even in, that's why even in Viveka Churamani, which is uh, uh, Shankaracharya's scripture of total analysis, there also he has brought the idea of bhakti. He's saying that constantly, that uh, contemplating on the idea that I am, that one with that absolute reality, when it reach, reaches a state of spontaneity, it is bhakti. It speaks of the same thing. That when you be, it becomes spontaneous, a path has been created, then it involves certain emotion. You have developed a love for it. So here also, that first eye, that image I was imagining, I have developed love by constantly repeating. It becomes more and more vivid. vivid. More and more the love becomes intense. All things start falling off. And my thought becomes so intense. 
that suddenly that object of vivid objects falls off from my vision. It's no more there. Because the mind has gone to that state, that arrested state. But very interesting. Though for the time being it has gone there, but my subconscious mind is now full of the ishtavritti. This ishtavritti has cleansed all other thoughts. When I started my meditation, for the time being, suddenly I used to get the focus of my mind and I used to visualize the divine for some time and again used to be broken by thousands of thoughts. But, by, but with my practice, as I became adept, now my subconscious mind is cleansed of all the distraction, but it is full of the ishtavritti. So though for the first time the mind goes to that arrested state, it cannot stay there long. It comes back to the, to the mind again, but the mind now is full of ishtavritti. So it comes back to the thought of its ishta. So now there is, the mind is going to and fro from this state of ishta to the state of formlessness. So it those who are devotees, for them, they want to be in the world of form. As Chaitanya Mahaprabhu used to say, that Ami, I don't want to be sugar. I want to taste sugar. If you just see that sentence, it will say, it, it do speak that there is a way to become sugar. I don't want to be sugar that speaks that he also knows very well that he can become sugar, but he doesn't want. I don't want to be sugar. I want to taste the sugar. So the bhakta, that emotion is so strong, he doesn't want that. So he comes back. So now you will understand what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That the bhaktas love, the water has frozen at places. So that he, though he can go to that state, the jnana is like rising sun. It can just dissolve the form and it can take you to that formless state. But he doesn't want that. The coolness of bhakti, again he comes back. And he wants to continue in this state of bhakti. So that's why you will find in the life of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in the life of Ramakrishna, very interesting. When they go to the state of thoughtlessness, they have asked their devotees, their antarangas, those who stay with them, that when you see me in that state, start repeating the name of the Lord. Very interesting. When we, for us, we use the name, in the name of Lord, the Ishta Vritti, to stop our distraction and take our mind to a higher state, to the state of focus. And for them, it is just the opposite. Their mind is so pure, it is going to the thoughtless state, but they don't want. They like, they want that bhakti, they want to enjoy the bhakti. But now, as that mind has a tendency to go to the thoughtless state, the devotees will report the name of the Lord, and then the mind. The subconscious mind is full of the Tishtavritti. It is again coming down there. In our scriptures everywhere, not only Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, not only Ramakrishna, you will even find that the Bhagavatam, where Shukadeva is born an ascetic, he is so pure. The moment he is born, he leaves his hearth and home. He goes to the deep jungle and he is deeply concept, absorbed in meditation. He is. this uh, Even in the... Uh, Bhagavatam, the sloki is there. Atma Ramascha Munaya. The one who is Atma Rama is totally absorbed in his own self. Even for them, when you repeat the name of Hari, name of the Lord, he comes back from that state. Such is the power of that, that name. Because with that only he has gone to that state. 
So with that again brings him back. The subconscious mind is full of that thought. Even in Shukadeva, that's how he was brought back. The Vyasadeva taught uh, all the this cowherd boys to go and repeat a sloka which depicts the uh, a, a particular episode, a life of Krishna and his beauty. And so hearing that, horripilation starts. The one who is in deep samadhi, the, all the hair stands on the end, tears starts flowing down, he comes back to this plane, full of devotion. So now you will understand this is the play of the mind, that what it is again just keeping this, the discussion in the mind, let us just read this word of Ramakrishna, how in a simple way he is describing this entire process which happens in the life of a sadhaka. Do you know what I mean? Think of Brahman, existence, knowledge, bliss absolute as a shoreless ocean. Through the cooling influence, as it were, of the bhakta's love, the water has frozen at places into blocks of ice. In other words, God now and then assumes various forms for his lovers and reveals himself to them as a person. But with the rising of the sun of knowledge, the blocks of ice melts. Then one doesn't feel anymore that God is a person, nor does one seize God's form. What he is cannot be described. It is something ineffable, undescribable. But it is something noetic. The, uh, this, the, the William James, after studying all the mystic traditions of all the religions, he told the common thing in all this realization, there are the two things which we find in the realization of all these mystics, that their realization is something noetic. They know it is not mere imagination. They know something. They're convinced. They're, when Naren asks and Ramakrishna, have you seen God? He doesn't go for any explanation. He says, yes, I have seen. It is that definite. It is that conviction. It is that type of strong conviction. That is Dhrida Nishchaya. There is no doubt in it. All Sankshaya has fallen off. So that's the type of reality. That's noetic. But at the same time, if you ask what it is, Ramakrishna will say, Kamungi na Jamungi. The just like testing the clarified butter. You test it, there is a test, can, but can you describe? So you have experienced something, but you cannot describe it. So it is experienceable, but not describable. So it is ineffable, noetic and ineffable. That's what he's saying. So he, it cannot be described. Who will describe him? He who would do so disappears. That ego has fallen off. Only then you go to that state. He cannot find his I anymore. Just see how in these few words the entire process of the spiritual realization from form to the formless how nicely with the help of this allegory Sri Ramakrishna is describing. He, because he is the one who has gone through all those steps. So he knows the, the entire grammar of it and he is just speaking it in the simple words. And then if one analyzes oneself, one doesn't find any such thing as I. Take an onion for instance. First of all, you peel off the red outer skin. Then you find thick white skins. Peel these off one after the other and you won't find 
anything inside. So, if you really, if you're in our life, this idea of panchakosha, that if I really try to find out who am I, very basically what we think, that we are this physical body. But is it a fact that I am this physical body? We never say I about this body, we say my body. If it, it was something which was real me, why would I say mine? Anything my means something which I possess. And if really I had an if I really thought my body is the real me, then suppose in an accident my hand has to be amputated, I would have thought I am no more the full me, I am 80% of my me, because something has gone off. But do I feel that way? Even when my hand is amputated, I know I am the same I. So, the, when I just, that way we can analyze that the, is the body real me? No. Is the thought the real me? That when I am happy, that's the real me. When I'm happy, that's not the me. I'm happy. Uh, whatever may be the state of mind, it is the same me. That whatever was, a, that is, as a small child, the way I used to think, I don't think in the way I am at present. The mind has changed. If I was the mind, then I, can, I would have never felt that the child, the same child is the adult person. Because the total way of thinking has changed. So the, I cannot say I am the mind, I cannot say I am the body, I cannot say I am the emotions. They are constantly changing. But the sense that I am, I am, that is always fixed. That is something like a thread. In a garland you have so many beads. All your thoughts, your emotions, your body are like those beads. But the thread, the sense that I am, I am, is something running through that. So I is actually not in any way identified with your body, with your mind, with your intellect. So at last you find that with what that I is there? Nothing. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. That what? At last, you, there is nothing called that real I, that I has fallen off. Then the really of course then question comes, then is there nothing called the self? So very interestingly in Panchadashi they have indicated that, that when by negating everything at last find there is nothing, who is experiencing that nothingness? There is someone who is saying there is no self, the doubter of the self is the self. Very nice, this is a very uh, subtle a way of analyzing the thing. Like in Buddhism they speak that it's all flow. The flow somehow is giving a sense of permanency behind it. But there is nothing permanent. Everything is a flow. And they give a wonderful example. They, what they say that when you are moving a torch, a torch of fire, in a circle very fast, you don't see the torch. You see a circle of fire, a ring of fire. Is the ring of fire really there? It's not there. It appears something permanent. Is there something permanent? Something is constantly moving. There is nothing permanent. But it gives a sense of permanent ring of fire. So they say the sense of self is something like that ring of fire. And it's very convincing. You may say, yeah. It's, that's how we are getting a sense of a self. Even that's why modern science is very much uh, aching to Buddhism. They say, yeah, this is the thing uh, which really appeals to our way of thinking. But Swami Vivekananda with one question has really just uh, 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 make us doubt even that Buddhist idea of that ring. He said, yes, it's true. 
The ring is not there. It is something which is a delusion. That's true. But the question is, does the ring really exist by itself? Someone is being deluded by, someone is getting a delusion that there is a ring. The one who is deluded to see that ring, the subject is there. Without the subject, nothing is there. But the ring is not there. But a subject is, is deluded. But he's, in delusion, he's seeing a ring. So in all this, uh, uh, this thing which is a flow, our idea that there is something permanent, that itself is a delusion. But the one who is delude, getting deluded, his existence you have to take into account. You cannot just simply say that that ring exists by itself. There is some subject who is being deluded by seeing that ring. The subject who is in the delusion, in the process, he is the self. So that's the idea, very simply, that Sri Ramakrishna is saying that by analyzing, am I this body, am I the mind? If that, if you go, you find that I am as such, uh, neither the body, not the mind, not the senses, not the intellect. So that's his thing. If one analyzes oneself, one doesn't find any such thing as I. Take an onion, for instance. First of all, you peel off the red outer skin, then you find thick white skins, peel this off one after the other, and you won't find anything inside. In that state, a man no longer finds the existence of his ego. And who is there left to seek it? Who can describe how he feels in that state? in his own pure consciousness about the real nature of Brahman. Because the moment you reach that state, you become one with it. The eternal subject can never be known. The moment if you know the subject, it becomes an object. The ultimate subject can never be known. So that's the thing, when you become one with the subject, there cannot be the knowledge of it. You just become one of it, one with it. Just the way we cannot see light. Light becomes visible only when it falls on some object. And then when it falls on an object, it becomes lighted. Then I say light is. Otherwise, there is light is not visible. Gravitation. Unless we see a falling object, you cannot experience gravitation. Magnetism. Unless you see something is being attracted. So iron finding you are not what is magnetism? Similarly, the ultimate self, when it is being reflected through these body-mind senses, we become aware of it. But it by itself can never be known. In our scripture, they say it is Tatastha Lakshana. What is Tatastha Lakshana? Suppose there is a river flowing nearby your house, but it is not visible, but it is very near. And if some guests come to your house. And you just say, the river is very near. Well, where? It's not visible. And then you say, you see that tall uh, palm tree? Well, yeah, it is just on the bank of that. So this palm tree becomes the reference of something which is not visible. Similarly, this world of name and form is the tata, is the show, is the reference of something which is beyond. So only by tatastha lakshana I can know it. I can never know it just the way I know an object. So you become one with it. And that's the thing Sri Ramakrishna is saying. Once a salt doll went to measure the depth of the ocean, no sooner was it in the water that it melted. Now who was to tell the depth? 
So here, that's the thing that I, I was when I was meditating. That amness was there. I am object of meditation is there. I know I am meditating on something, and suddenly the ego falls off. That amness is there, but it has no locality, no idea of time, space, causation. So it has become something like a shoreless ocean. It has now merged in it. The distinction between you and me, that this is me, this is not me, that has fallen off. So it has as if melted with that non-local consciousness. The localized consciousness merges in that non-local. The moment you go to that realization. That Sri Ramakrishna in such a simple way has spoken of this, all this realization because this was something in his life it has become, in the words of Shankaracharya, Karatala Amala Kavat. That spiritual realizations were just like a fruit in his palm. It was such a palpable thing in his life. And that's why his, descript his description of these states of realization is so vivid, so profound thing. He's speaking in such a simple language. Then what he's saying, there is a sign of perfect knowledge. Man becomes silent when it is attained. Then the I, which may be likened to the salt doll, melts in the ocean of existence, knowledge, bliss absolute, and becomes one with it. Not the slightest trace of distinction is left. So it is like as you are becoming merged with that consciousness, and as, as we were telling that when you go to that realization, you know you are convinced that you have realized, but it is not describable. So that speaks of the man becomes silent because it is avang manasagocharam. It is something which is beyond your walk, walk, beyond your speech, beyond your mind. Manasagocharam. Avak. It is beyond your speech. It is beyond your mind. So you have experienced something which cannot be Ex, uh, uh, converted into language which cannot be spoken in any language why it cannot be spoken in any language because this, in this world language you know is the limitation of language language can be used only when we two persons have similar type of experiences your experiences tally with my experiences then the language is there to decode my ex experience in the form of language, sorry, I encode, my experience is encoded in the form of language and if you have similar type of experience, then only you can decode it. So language is a process of encoding and decoding. What I experience, that I encode in the form of language, the one who has similar experience can decode it. A man of realization. What he has realized, he cannot express because others haven't realized, they, they don't have that fund of experience. How can, that's what Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that so I try my best to explain it to you. And in simple words is to say, but mother is as if pressing my mouth, is not allowing me. I cannot just say what it is. So that's the idea which has been spoken of here, that as you will find that if you, that, that example which we give again and again, if you have tested mango and you take a resolution to explain the taste of mango to a group of people who have never tested it. Can you ever explain? Because 
you, they don't have the same fund of experience. It is impossible. Even in this world, if we don't have the same fund of experience, we can never explain. Sri Ramakrishna in the Gospels is a very interesting thing. Uh, a girl in the village was newly married and went to his, from his uh, law-in-law's house, he came to her parents' house for a short visit. And now the girl's other friends, who used to be the friends, they are yet to be married. They come and ask this girl, so now you married. So we have heard of this conjugal love. That Can you explain what it is? So this girl replies, how can I explain? It is only you have to get married to really realize what that conjugal love is. Just see in a simple way Sri Ramakrishna is explaining. That unless you have the same fund of experience, if the mother, uh, same thing with the mother. If the mother, when we meet her friends who are yet to become mother, and they ask, what is this love which you feel for your child? It's something experienceable. The mother knows. But can she explain? It's impossible. But if any other friend has the child, and then there's of course no language, but then they say, oh, the love I feel. They say, oh yeah, I understand. But at the same time, there's no language. It is just some indication with which they are understanding that what it is. It is something experienceable, but it is not describable. So that's why if they cannot, never can speak of it. So uh, no slightest stress of distinction. There, there is a sign of perfect knowledge. Man becomes silent when it is attained. Then the eye, which may be likened to the salt doll, melts in the ocean of the existence, knowledge, will, and bliss. In our scripture, they speak of, in Manduka Upanishad, that is the idea is there. That who, what is the sign of a realized soul? That he becomes nativadi, na ativadi. But when we speak of God, it is ativada. Vada means speech. Means our speech transcends our what I have not realized. It has transcended our realization. We are speaking something which we have not realized. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say that it is just like the small children swearing on each other after hearing their parents do so, do so, parents swearing in the name of God. God's promise, I say that I have done this or done that. The parents say, the children line. And learn from them. Neither the parent know what God is, nor the children know. That's what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. So this is called Ativada. You're speaking something which you haven't realized. That example which we give again and again. If a man who have tasted mango and explains the taste of mango to a group of people who have not tasted mango, now they all will conjure up some ideas. They will try to relate those words with their available fund of experiences. When he says the mango is sweet, it has a nice flavor. So these persons have not tasted mango, but they know what sweetness is. They know what flavor is. For that, they have some other fund of experiences. With that, they try to relate. Now they will come up with all varied ideas. Someone will say mango is sweet like uh, sugarcane, and it has a nice flavor, fragrance of the rose. Someone may say, no, it is as sweet as honey. It has a fragrance of jasmine. What they are all trying to 
relate the words of the realized soul with their available fund of experiences. And now all this varied opinion starts. And moment there is a varied opinion, there is always a scope for discussion. No, what I say is true. Conversation, if all were having the same mind, with same thoughts, Swami Vivekananda in complete works have still, we would have been like just the Egyptian mummies, because nothing to speak. All conversation starts because of our various perspectives. So as long as I have not realized, the perspectives are supposed to be different. That's why in Indian language, the various branches of philosophies are called darshana. Darshana means to see. It speaks of perspective. From my perspective, as I haven't realized the thing, from my limited perspective, that's what I have an idea of the divinity. So they were that humble to say that this is a darshana. So these are the various perspectives. As Sri Ramakrishna gives that example, that five blind men, when they were asked to explain that what an elephant is like, so they were, as they were blind, so from their perspective they were trying to understand. Someone touched the trunk and told that it is like a stout rope. Someone touched the belly and told it is like a cauldron. Someone touched the, these limbs and told it is like a pillar, the tail. So each and every one, like the, the, the ears, it is like a willow, it's like a fan. So each and every one from his limited perspective is trying to explain the elephant. So that's what happens. And then the question of discussion comes. But the man who have realized for him, this all this, it has taken him to that ineffable experience which cannot be expressed through word. It's like the mother trying to explain the love of that's the parental love for the child to one who is, has not has no child, he is not yet having any children. So it's something like that. So that's the things he's saying. That's why they become silent when it is at end. Then the eye, which may be likened to the soul doll, melts in the ocean of existence, knowledge, bliss, absolute, and becomes one with it. Not the slightest trace of distinction is left. So the cycle of transmigration falls off. The cycle of avidya, karma, karma. From the ignorance, the desire comes. From the desire, the actions. And this goes on through life, life after life. That falls off. In the words of Shankaracharya, it's like a flying bird which doesn't keep any trail behind. When we are walking on the ground, we can be traced by the trail which we have, the footprints which we have walked over the land, all the footprints. Anyone following the footprints can find us. Our karma speaks of our footprints. As long as we are in the ignorance, our karma, with that uh, that our path of transmigration can be ascertained that what type of birth we are going to have for good actions, I'm going to get good birth. For evil actions, I'm going to get some lower birth. All this can be ascertained. But for a man of realization, he merges with the absolute. It's like a flying bird. In the word, nicely Shankaracharya is saying, it's like a flying bird which doesn't keep any trail behind. Does there is there any footprint of the bird? No. Once the bird has flown or where it has flown, it is very difficult to find out. There's no footprint. They have merged with the Absolute. As long as his analysis is not complete, man argues with much ado. Just as what we were discussing, that all these various opinions have been formed because of the limited perspective. And then the question of argument comes. But he becomes silent when he completes it. When the empty pitcher has been filled with water, 
when the water inside the pitcher becomes one with the water of the lake outside, no more sound is heard. These examples are wonderful. If you just insert a pitcher in the water, as long as the, the pitcher is not full, you can hear some so sound. That Sri Ramakrishna in the gospel in Bengal says, dhug, 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 that sound is there. It is entering. When the water is full, there is no more sound. It has become one with the lake. It says no more sound is heard. It is now full. Sound comes from the pitcher as long as the pitcher is not filled with water. So as long as we are not saturated with our spiritual realization, we are bound to be noisy, argue, argumentative. All the arguments come from limited perspectives. So one is convinced he can never argue. Just when Ramakrishna's life, that Narin went to Ramakrishna, before going to Ramakrishna, went to so other spiritual leaders. The same question he asked. Have you seen God? They were trying to prove by quoting the scriptures through analysis, through argumentation that God is. Narin again just retorted back by saying, no, I don't want those explanations. My question is, have you seen God? Not all those rationalization. So as long as we have not seen, all those rationalizations do have a place. But when you go to Ramakrishna and ask the same question, I have seen. There it ends. No question of explanation. He's full with that realization. There's no question of analyzing. Analysis has stopped. Because you have realized the thing. What you have realized, you never analyze. And this realization is the only criteria for knowledge. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is speaking of. So people used to say in olden days that no boat returns after having once entered the black waters of the ocean. The same idea. In the olden days, when the uh, boats were not that sophisticated, it was always unpredictable. So once you have gone to the waters, you may not return. So once you have went to that absolute shoreless uh, idea of that amnes, of that non uh, dual consciousness. There is no return. There is no transmigration. You are gone. You are merged with the Absolute. All troubles and botherations come to an end when the I dies. That's what Sri Ramakrishna, when someone is to ask him, when shall I be free? When I cease to be. That is to be his answer. Ami mukto habukave, ami jabe jabe. So that's the thing he's saying. When that I dies, the trouble and botheration come to an end when that I dies. You may indulge in thousands of reasonings, but still the I doesn't disappear. For people like you and me, it is good to have the feeling of, I am a lover of God. So that's the thing. Just see, let us start with the idea of the duality. So all, the, even the one who is saying, I am Brahman, he's also dualist actually. There's an idea of Brahman, there's an idea of this limited me, and you are just saying, I am that. That idea of duality is still there. As long as we have not gone to the realization, we can never go beyond the idea of this duality. So Sri Ramakrishna is saying, why not start with the lover of God? Take this as a way. Advaita is a state, is a realization. It's not a practice. It can never be practiced. No one can be an Advaitist as per the practice is concerned. In practice, we are all dualist. So that's why, why not start as a lover of God? That if you can develop that emotion, that devotion, that itself will make the meditation spontaneous. 
and it can take you to the realization. So why not be a lover of God? Why just simply ripen that ego, make that ego stronger, crystallize that ego by trying to say that I am one with Brahman. Because Sri Ramakrishna in some other place very nicely says that however you, you may go on vocally uh, asserting that I am Brahman, if a thorn pricks you, immediately you get the pain. So you are like an hypocrite. If the thorn pricks and you get the pain, you are getting identified with the body, then how can you be the Brahman? But a devotee is that way humble. He is accepting the fact, God is, I am, I meditate upon him, and there it ends. So that's why in Narada Bhakti Sutra, there is a sutra very nice, Ishwarasya api abhimana deshitvat, dainya priyatvatcha. Abhimana, de, that even God doesn't like that pride, ego. He likes humility. Abhimana, that in spiritual journey, the moment at the very beginning, if I say I am Brahman, it is a hypocrisy. Because in no way it relates to the uh, way you really feel and act. But if I say I am a devotee of God, here there is no question of hypocrisy there. Because uh, you still uh, ask the, what you say that accept the fact of this duality. So be humble, start in that way. That Advaita is a state, is a state of realization. This follow this path, ultimately it will take you. So start as a lover of God. Just there is no reason, uh, there is no use in indulging thousands of reasoning. Because the eye doesn't disappear by that. So people like you and me, Ramakrishna, is just to uh, encourage us. He's as if bringing himself down to our level and saying like you and me. He's of course not like us, but just to encourage us, to show us the way. He's coming down to our level so that we, we, can, we rise up holding him. People like you and me, it is good to have the feeling I'm the lover of God. So... So this, you will find this uh, gospel, these teachings are so profound. So we will go on with the discussion again. Uh, we will continue with the uh, succeeding part of the discussion again in the next class. So with this, we stop our discussion today. Thank you all. Namaskars.